This episode of STEM Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros addresses one of the most basic tasks in a professional greenhouse, watering. But proving that water management is fundamental and critical, we are joined by Ball Horticultural's Senior Technical and Research Manager, Dr. Will Healy, one of the most experienced and knowledgeable experts in all things greenhouse production. He's also a great storyteller, which you will learn throughout the episodes. And yes, I did say episodes, because this one is a two-parter. Watering and water management is so critical that we invited a PhD to help us learn as much as possible about it, and we will spend two sessions on the topic. The first part will be all about the language of watering. And this one is perfect to share with your entire production team and others across your organization. As Dr. Healy will help us understand Speaking the same language of watering throughout the company is critical, and there are qualitative and quantitative ways to teach water management so that accuracy and efficiency can be achieved. Getting watering right will reduce your costs and result in better crops. So gather your team, grab a pen and notebook, and get ready for part one in a two-part session on watering. But first, connect four where we take a look at four messages lining up to support one key industry topic. Since this episode of STEM is pretty technical and packed with critical information, I thought Connect Four should be a bit lighter. So here are four ways gardening is good for the soul from an article I read at VegetableGardener.com. None of these will surprise you, but they are a good reminder why the products and services we provide are important to the health of people in our communities and on our planet. First, gardening improves mental health. In a recent Norwegian study, people with some degree of depression spent six hours a week growing flowers and vegetables. The result? More than half reported improved mood. Gardening is also used as a method to treat drug addiction as it's a proven distraction method. But I think it's more than that. Gardening connects the participant with something greater and allows us to enjoy nature. Next, gardening is exercise. From constant movement to getting up and down and lifting various weights and shapes, we all know it's no problem to break a sweat while spending time in the garden. And the level of intensity is variable and can be adjusted to fit any age or fitness level. Third, Your brain loves gardening. Several studies have shown a lower risk of dementia with gardening. In fact, people who garden on a regular basis have a 47% lower risk of dementia compared to those who do not garden. And gardening is believed to stimulate a youthful sentiment in the soul. I absolutely believe this to be true. Our final chip in Gardening is Good for the Soul Connect 4 might be the most important one these days. Gardening leads to stress relief. Whether it stimulates healthy eating, healthy living, exercise, or youthful feelings, gardening impacts stress levels in a positive way. Many stressed out people enjoy gardening before or after work to wind down and improve clarity. As opposed to watching TV or going online, gardening reduces fatigue on the eyes and alleviates stress. Give it a try. We can all use less stress in our lives. Now, on to water management, part one in a two-part podcast. The senior manager of technical services, Dr. Will Healy is responsible for developing production programs and operational efficiencies that produce consistent, high-quality young plants. He works with ball companies and customers throughout the world, training their staff in cutting-edge production practices. Over the last 30 years, Will has developed innovative operational approaches and scheduling programs that reduce shrink, improving operational efficiencies with reduced crop times. Will's current research emphasis focuses on reducing shrink throughout the supply chain from our seed and cutting producers all the way through our customers' retail operations. As growers move to performance-based trading, managing shrink has become the new ticket to play for growers at all levels. Since shrink must be evaluated holistically, Will has developed tools to optimize the product assortment, strategies that reduce buffer requirements, production techniques and process improvements to increase yields, and grower training to improve uniformity and overall quality. 
A key to Ball's success in young plant production has been the development of product standards and procedures to ensure consistent performance. Working with growers, Will has developed protocols that ensure consistent supplies for customers. These procedures involve operational, software, and plant culture aspects since no one aspect will ensure consistent supply. As author of more than 400 Ball Culture Advisors, Will is well-versed in crop production. Before coming to Ball, Will was a faculty member at the University of Maryland and Colorado State University, where he published more than 30 scientific publications on floriculture production. Will received his Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota, working with Harold Wilkins. As you can tell from this diverse and comprehensive bio, we are lucky to be joined by Dr. Healy on STEM. Expect Will to be a frequent guest covering many relevant and timely topics going forward. This time, we're talking water management, part one of a two-part episode. Will, welcome to STEM. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. I'm glad I finally get a chance to talk about one of the best topics you'll have on the entire STEM series because it's um, so critical to being successful in this industry. Well, and it's a topic uh, with you know watering that, that everybody probably does every day in a greenhouse. So it's well, uh, definitely relevant. Well, especially because it's um, probably the one topic that they don't talk about except when things go bad. And then all of a sudden they're frustrated and they don't know what to do about it. So hopefully we'll, by the time they're done, with this session on STEM that they'll actually have a better idea of what to do. Well, speaking of when things go bad, I did share your bio and a little bit about what you do leading up to our discussion, but can you explain your role at, at Ball to the STEM listeners and maybe a little bit about your background and why uh, you get the phone call when things go bad? Well, you know, I'm kind of the, um, I run a fire department at Ball kind of, of for problems that is. Um, when there's really bad problems. I'm in there trying to beat the fires down and then always trying to make sure that the small little problems don't become big towering infernos. So, you know, like anyone that's run a fire department, you don't want to have too many big fires because if you have too many big fires, they wonder what kind of fire department you have. Um, and on the other hand, if there aren't any fires, they always wonder why, why you have one. Um, so <clears throat> the other thing that I really am um, responsible for is a visitor once told me, you're responsible for dead plants. And I thought, hmm, well, that kind of makes sense. I basically make sure that when plants are died, that um, I can figure out why they died. And also to train people so that they don't kill them. Because again, like a fire department, you don't want to have all the plants dead because that's kind of pointless. From a practical standpoint, though, what my job is really is to, um, in some ways, never to talk to growers. Um, the reason is, is that if I do my job correctly, work with our young plant suppliers, our rooting stations, our plug producers, um, our stock plant operations, you know, all of the inputs that our customers receive from Ball, they should be able to plant those and grow them without any problems at all. So that, you know, my time is spent pretty much um, on the road. I'm on the road, oh, probably Oh, I fly around the world and hit uh, about 150, 160,000 seat miles a year, um, and I'm gone, oh, probably about 70% of my time working with our operations to make sure that there aren't any problems um, showing up at our customers' doors. So that's kind of what I do. And so I've um, spent about um, 20, going on my 28th year with Ball. So there's not a lot of problems that growers have been able to present that we haven't seen at least once or twice within the Ball Technical Group, um, which is a fairly good-sized group that travels around doing similar things to what I do. Well, and when you travel around uh, around the world, you must uh, see all sorts of common challenges. And from what I understand, it sounds like watering and water management is one of these common challenges. So, you know, I, I've heard you say that we have it all wrong when we tell our growers to water. So I guess, what do you mean when you say that? Well. The problem we have is that in regardless of which language they're speaking it, although I barely can speak English, so I don't speak any other languages, but you can you can hear and you can see the frustration in people's minds um, and in their eyes where they say um, that they're not, you know, that they've been instructed to go out and water. And then the owner manager comes and starts 
talking to them in very loud voice, very stern look, that you're not watering correctly. And the poor grower is standing there with a confused look on their face like, but that's what you told me to do. You told me to go out and water. So I went out and watered. Now you're coming and telling me not to water. Well, could you make up your mind? Do you want me to water or do you want me not to water? So the problem we have is I finally figured it out. Um, and I was standing in a greenhouse in China listening to this whole conversation going on in Chinese. And I realized we've got this all wrong. We need to teach growers to dry out plants. How do you dry plants out? Not how do you water them? Because if we said your job is to dry the plants out, we would have a lot better crops than when we go and we tell growers to go out and water. In fact, I've even conjectured that if we paid growers not to water, but to dry out, and every time they got the plants dried out to the correct moisture level, that they would get paid, that suddenly crop culture would improve dramatically for most growers. So it sounds like watering, it can be trouble. So is watering all that bad? Well, the problem that we have is not so much of are they watering, it's are you correctly watering? Because, you know, I've always contended for probably over 40 years now that, you know, incorrect watering kills more plants than anything else we do. You know, I remember walking into a greenhouse early in my career in Colorado where there was the most beautiful plant, poinsettia plant, that you've ever seen in your entire world. It was world class. Sitting right next to it was a plant on its deathbed. It was just rotted. It was infested with insects. There was disease all over it. It was like, hey, guy, how'd you do that? That's really impressive. You know, side by side and then littered through this entire greenhouse were absolutely world-class poinsettia plants next to near-death experiences. And then we sat and we talked and, and he went around and, he, and it finally came down to how he was watering them. And sometimes he said, well, you know, I, I hand water each one of these. And sometimes I give some a lot and sometimes I give some a little. And I'm thinking, well, that's inconsistency is basically giving you the problems of poor performance. So, you know, you really need to stand back and say, you know, are you watering these consistently and correctly? Are you letting them dry down? Are you adding enough water to basically so that satisfy them to the next time that you need to do it? So this was where we started formulating this whole idea of how do you train a grower to make those kinds of decisions? Because it's not that watering is a bad, it's incorrect watering that's bad. Too much or too little. So if you can go into a greenhouse and see a just a perfect plant sitting next to, you know, what is, like you said, on its deathbed. So what, what are the problems that growers create by inc incorrect or, I guess, inconsistent watering? Well, actually, if you sit down and you start looking at the problems that we have and the cures that we've created, we basically throw a tremendous amount of time, energy, and resources against fixing an incorrect watering scenario. Because I've walked into greenhouses where um, growers really have dialed in the watering, they've dry it down to the correct point, not too dry, but the right point. They water it up to the correct point, and they basically, you walk through and you don't see fungus gnats, shore flies. Remember, fungus, shed, fungus gnats and shore flies have a larva that's in the soil that love wet soil. Because they love the wet soil, you get algae growing. If you get algae growing, it feeds on the, the gives the food for the um, larva, and so you basically end up with this little um, biosphere of fungus gnats, shore flies, and algae, all because you've kept the soil too wet. In fact, if you go into a greenhouse and have a competition where you try to say, "How do you grow algae? <laughs> How do you grow slime on the top of the pot?" What you'll quickly find is in the, the competitor who wins the game, which is, of course, the loser because they grew slime, um, is the guy that or woman who keeps it uniformly wet all the time. So, you know, insect problems love wet soil. So if you have a lot of insect problems, plants that are stressed, those all attract insects. And because they're stressed due to being overwatered, they are stressed due to incorrect nutrition, there's just overall stress those plants will actually attract insects. 
of course, we all know that a lot of our diseases, botrytis, um, powdery mildew, downy mildew, these all require very high relative humidity for the spores to actually germinate and grow on the leaves. And of course, pythium loves to have wet roots. So you start seeing that you have a high soil moisture, keeps the microclimate around the plant very high relative humidity, even though the humidity above the plant might be you know, 80, 80% or lower, which is not good for the disease, but right in around the plant, because of all the wet soil, you're basically maintaining a 95, 99% relative humidity, and you suddenly start getting powdery mildew, downy mildew, um, sprouting out there, you get botrytis coming in, all because it's just too wet, you get too at the dew point. You know, if you start thinking about growers when they say, my, my growth regulator is not working, I'm putting it on and they're still stretching and I put it on more and I've got to go to bonsai and I'm using 20, 30 parts per million and I'm still pouring it on. I, I always ask them, well, how often are you watering? How wet is that soil? Does the soil ever get dry? Because remember, drought is a growth regulator, keeping it really wet. Because think of a plant, it's nothing more than a bunch of cells and those cells are like balloons and think of them as water balloons. The more water, the bigger the water balloon, the taller the plant. So, um, so those are just the visual insect disease, plant growth regulators. But there's other things that you don't see, and we've um, actually seen growers improve nutrient uptake. Now, why would you improve nutrient uptake? Well, when you dry a root system back, it branches because plants look for water. They branch so that they try to take up more water as they branch, they have more surface area. More surface area means that they're penetrating the soil, looking for nutrients, taking up nutrients, so that you actually get a better nutrient balance in the plant. That root development that you get as you dry plants out so that they develop, they look for the water, is basically enhances the shelf life of the, of the crop for the end consumer. But if we go back, it also makes it easier to transplant. Because think of it, when you get a root system that goes all the way to the bottom of the pot, it forms a mat on the bottom of the pot so that when you pull it out of its container, the root ball comes straight up. Instead of when you don't have a root ball at the bottom, what ends up is you basically pull it out and you got this bare root plant so that it's perceived as low quality. The last thing that we found, which was really kind of interesting, is the crop time is reduced significantly when you start drying your plants out and don't keeping them wet all the time. And you say, well, why is that, Will? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one is you got better root growth. Better root growth means that you've got more roots penetrating more of the soil, so it takes up more nutrients. It takes up water more efficiently. Because if you look at a root that's grown wet, it basically forms a water root. There's no fuzzy hair roots on that um, root tip. It's just basically, as we call them, um, lazy roots. They're just basically sitting in water. Think of them as a teenager sitting on your couch, just laying there waiting for food to come by. Whereas if you have a happy root, that's this fuzzy root that's wandering out in the soil, taking actively growing, taking up nutrients, and growing very vigorously. So you can see that water management, putting it on correctly, dramatically impacts all aspects of plant growth. So you talked about uh, reduction of pets or pests, um, Im improved uh, use of growth regulators, um, I guess uh, re reduction or um, improved uh, crop time. Mm -hmm. um, so all these things uh, seem really important um, and they all sort of uh, uh, relate to water management. So. You know, I, I've been around a greenhouse a, a little bit here and there. I know that water is critical. So when you're training your team, isn't you know too wet? You know, I've heard my I heard my boss say, "Oh, it's too wet. It's too dry. It needs to be dry or wetter." Um, and sort of have an understanding of what that means. Isn't that easy enough to train someone to determine? Are are we overthinking this when it comes to water management? Okay, Bill. Let's talk about you. <laughs> so you go back into your early career where you thought, "Okay, I want to be in a greenhouse." and your boss told you, too wet. And then he came around and said, too dry. Then he came about a little wetter and a little drier. And then you, how did you feel about your, your success and your ability to do the job when he used these very vague terms that were absolute meaningful to him 
and probably not very meaningful to you. How did you feel about that? I guess I felt like I was guessing a little bit, but that I could, yeah, I could take a stab at it. But, you know, obviously you went on into um, uh, marketing um, because, and, and that's, and that's the problem. At least you stayed in the ind industry. Um, you know, what's happened is that the growers who have um, survived, and that's really about all you can, you've got, um, three different types of um, growers that I run into. You've got survivors. These are people who have been in the industry for 20, 30, 40, 60, 80 years. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, they, and the reason they've been able to survive is that they slowly figured it out. Then you end up on the other end, you have new learners. And that was you when you first entered the business. And so you had a survivor telling you, wetter, drier. And of course, they knew wetter, what wetter was, and they knew what drier was. But you really couldn't grasp that fast enough to be able to migrate from a new learner or an early learner to a survivor. And that's what happens in this industry is we learn, we lose too many people because the methodology we've depended upon is learning by doing and then surviving. And survival means being successful. And if you're not successful, no one wants to do that. And today's new learners that are coming into our industry are very dependent on being more directional. Um, they want the freedom to decide, but they want direction on what to do to be successful. So you have to balance this being very direct, very, very directional, uh, very specific on what you want but yet giving them space to make decisions um, to adapt and make it their own. So you, you learning um, has changed a little bit. And this whole too wet, too dry, little wetter, little drier is too general, especially if you're trying to grow plants. If you take five people and put them in and give them each hold a pot and say, is this wet or dry? You'll end up with five different answers. That doesn't work. So it really, we really, it, we need to rethink on how we're actually training people. And so that's pretty much what we've been talking about over the last couple of years. Okay. So before we get into, I guess, to the nuts and bolts of water management and, and, you know, your, the water knowledge pyramid that, that you talk about um, frequently when you, when you work with growers, um, talk a little bit, I guess we touched a little bit on labor and keeping employees. Can you, can you share just a little bit about how growers can deal with scale up and scale down for labor needs and then still manage this consistency of, of not consistency of watering, but consistency of the approach to watering? Um, sure, because I think that's one of our biggest challenges. We identified this probably about 10, 15 years ago, that um, the peakiness of our business does not allow us to have a lot of employees sitting around just without with nothing to do because the greenhouses were empty and just growing crops for growing crops sake uh, 10 years ago proved once again not to be a good business model so we had to figure out a way that we could basically have knowledgeable people who understood the growing basically the experienced people the survivors um, who could direct a group of employees that you basically scale up and scale down so as the greenhouse starts to fill you hire more people. And then as the greenhouse starts to empty, then you start laying those people off. And so that really was what we we're trying to do is to figure out how can we develop a system where we can very quickly and easily train growers um, so that they can be um, up to speed within less than a week. So you can bring them in, train them, get them up. And then if they're not successful, move on, get someone new in there because really, the task that we have that's mission critical in a greenhouse is watering the crop that's on the bench. You know, yes, it's mission critical to plant, it's mission critical to ship, but if you don't water the crop correctly, the first is useless and the last will never happen. So we really need to um, be thinking about how do we create a scalable workforce? Because trying to find high quality experienced growers, that doesn't work anywhere in the world. Um, everybody complains about it, whether you're in China. That was the conversation I had this morning with our technical manager, finding 
skilled workers who can water in China. You'd think with you know three billion people, there'd be a couple people who can water. No, you got to train them. And so that's what we have to um, be thinking about. How can we train them quickly? So, okay, so speaking of training, is there a, a kind of a hierarchy of knowledge needed um, for water management? Should greenhouse managers expect to train everyone to be knowledgeable about watering? Well, I think that um, it's irrational to think that you can train everyone in the time that you need to understand the incredible complexity of, of water requirements of plants. Because we know that if you take a life of a plant, you know, in seed, when you're germinating seeds, you may need very wet the first day or two, then it needs to be drier, then it needs to be wetter, then it needs to be drier and wetter, drier, wetter, drier. And as you go through the life of the plant, there's different times when you need to add a lot of water and other times when you don't need to add much at all. So um, what you really have to be thinking about is how do we um, create a knowledge pyramid where everyone has a specific step on that pyramid that they need to be proficient at and that once they're proficient that's good enough they don't if they want to learn higher levels more knowledge that's fine but really the grower or head production person needs to be able to work through the entire pyramid um, whereas the um, waterer they just need to know to do the job and do the job well. That's all they need. So that's what we really need to be thinking about um, is how do we train people to um, in the water knowledge pyramid. So do you want to touch on the water knowledge pyramid a little bit more or let you know, maybe talk a little bit about who needs, I guess, who in the operation needs the, the language of water? Um, yes, the basically the if you think about the knowledge um, the water knowledge pyramid. The first step on the water knowledge pyramid is basically the language of water. The language of water is basically the language that is how, just how do you describe the different levels, the five levels of, of moisture within a container. Then the next um, level is when to water. How dry do you need to let that container or that um, tray go before you need to water. What is the dry point? What's a dry target? Then the next question is, is what's the wet target? Because you, you've got to basically think of both of those wet and dry targets. And that's really what the grower, the waterer, the person who's actually applying the water, they need to know how dry should it get and how wet should they make it. That's the wet dry target. Um, then you have where to water. You know, what are you trying to do? This is a higher level skill that the grower needs to basically direct the waterers, the people who are applying the water, to, okay, you just need to put on a, about 100 or 200 grams of water so the water just fills the top of the cell or the top of the tray because that's where the plant is, that's where the cell seed is, that's where we want the water. Now, in a week from now or five days from now, we need to get water all the way to the bottom because we want to draw those roots to the bottom of the container. So where to water is a higher skill. Then the next level is a much higher skill is also the plant demand and saying, okay, these plants are now starting to bloom. So for example, um, it's December and we've got bracts forming on our poinsettias and, um, and the poinsettias basically, do you need to be adding a lot of water or do you not need to be adding a water lot, lot of water? That's critical. You're getting ready to pinch a plant. <clears throat> Should you be watering heavily before you pinch? Or should you wait to water after the pinch? You know, what is the plant requiring from a water standpoint? And that's really a grower decision who directs the waterers, the people who are putting water on the crop. Finally, the highest level of knowledge is the climate. How is the environment? You know, here we're recording this on a dreary December day where it's not too hot, not too cold. It's high humidity. And so consequently, the water use is not very high, so therefore, should we be watering? When should we be watering? Should we be watering first thing in the morning? Can we skip watering today? Those, that's based on how the climate is over the next two or three days. This is really what a, a grower understands, and the grower directs the waterers when to water, um, how dry should you let it go, you know, should we let this dry down to, say, 600 grams, 800 grams, 1,000 grams? How dry should we go? And then also, how wet should you go? 
and that's based on the climate, the plant demand, and where where you want to, the roots to be moving. So this is where the conversation needs to be in the grower's mind, whereas the waterers, they just need to know that, okay, I need to apply this much water to get the weight to this point and reach this level one through five um, so that my plants are actually growing. Okay, so it clearly is an, is an organizational effort across the entire teams. Right. Um, okay, so let's get down to business. The five levels, um, you reference them as, as sort of the, the part of the pyramid that everybody needs to be aware of. Um, what are the five levels? Is there a qualitative and quantitative way to, to look at them? Well, I think, uh, teach us, doctor, teach okay. us. Okay, well, there is a qualitative. Qualitative means that it's something that you can touch, you can feel, you can hear, um, you can actually do it, but it's not measured. It's not, you know, it's not real gritty. Quantitative means that there's an actual number. When you weigh that pot, when you weigh that tray, it weighs X number of grams. And now all of you people say, grams, I'm scared. Okay, the reason you use grams is that you really don't want to think of make people think about how much it weighs. You just want them to think about the number. You put it on a scale and it gives you a number. And as the grower, you say, when the number is 1,000, water this plant. If you say, when the plant is three pounds, two ounces, they're going to walk out there and they're going to go, well, I think this is about three pounds. No, 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 no. You want them to take the scale, put the plant on the scale, and see, did it actually reach this? Now, is that a lot of work? No, because basically what you're doing is, is you're forcing them to walk through the greenhouse and check plants. You know, they're basically in a, most greenhouses, you should put on 10 to 12,000 steps per day, walking through the greenhouse, picking up plants, weighing them, because that's how you learn. The survivors of the industry basically survive by picking plants up and going, hmm, this wasn't that heavy an hour ago, or this is heavier than it should be, or I think I better make this a little heavier. They were actually lifting it, but now we're going to move it from qualitative, I think this is heavier, to a quantitative, this is in a specific weight. So basically, from we teach everyone. Everyone needs to understand the qualitative levels one through five. Five being saturated, you can't be wetter than wet. When the soil is absolutely wet, um, you basically, it drips, you put a ball of soil in your hand that's um, a level five, that basically it drips out of your hand, that's five. If you, base, if you then take a soil and put it um, so that it just drips a little bit, when you give it a little bit of a squeeze, that's a level four. If you take soil and you squeeze it as tight as you can and you can squeeze water out of it, that soil is a level three, because if it, a little bit of a squeeze, it's a four. More squeeze, it becomes a level three. If you can't squeeze water out of it, it's a level two. Now, at a level two, it's really interesting. You know that you're still at a level two because if you take a level two moisture and squeeze it in your hand and then blow on it, the soil doesn't move because water is a glue that holds that soil together. So if it um, is sticky, it's basically holding the water, um, water is holding that soil together, and the plant is in great shape. Um, because most plants can survive to, from a level two to a level four. So in a level four, remember, is basically where the water can freely run out of the um, soil if you give it a little bit of a squeeze. So there's plenty of water at a level four, and there's still water available at a level two. At a level one, there's no water, so the the soil literally is, um, if it's a peat mix, it's a light tan, you can basically blow on it and the soil moves, it doesn't stick together because there is no water present. And of course, you don't want to go to level one because at level one, plants are dead. So you really, if you think about it, from two to four is pretty much the kind of the range that you grow most plants at. Um, the question of, well, who needs to know this technical information? Well. It's not complicated to learn. There is a, um, a PowerPoint that you can actually go through the five levels and tells you how to actually set up the bags, five bags, and you have people that work together in pairs to learn 
what how make a level five, make a level four, make a three, two, and one soil so that they basically can see that there's a difference in color. The more water, the darker it is. They can feel it so that they can actually feel the amount of water, the amount of stickiness, the ability to make a ball of soil. They can squeeze it and see that water is can easily be removed from it. And what's interesting in a level two, if you take a level two moisture, you put it in your hand and then squeeze it, it actually goes squeak, 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 squeak. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is it's the water moving within the, um, the pores of the, of the peat moss. So you can actually hear the soil um, actually with water moving in there if you hearing is good enough. Anyways, but so you can actually create qualitative. Now notice there isn't any values to any of those, but those are qualitative. And you know, everyone in the organization needs to be able to communicate whether it's a level one, level two, level three. You know, it's very easy if it, the shipping department says to the growers, these need to be at a level three. They're coming to me at a level two. Make sure that they're at least at a level three, but let's try not to get them to a level four. Instead of saying, hey guys, they're too wet, or hey guys, they're too dry, which means nothing. It's not directional. We talked about this whole idea that we need to have new learners, early learners, um, being very directional. You need to tell them specifically what you need to do so that they can do specifically what you've asked them to do. Instead of just saying a little wetter, a little drier, say you need to make sure that this is a level three at the time it's shipped or a level four. Even the person who's taking phone calls and sales needs to understand the five levels of moisture. So when your customers get plants and they say, these are too wet or these are too dry, they can ask the customer, okay, could you just take pull one of those and just squeeze it? Does water come out or does water not come out? You know, how does it feel? Because then you can get, get a direct piece of information that's actionable, that you can then have the salesperson communicate to shipping, shipping can communicate to the growers, a useful piece of information. Hey guys, these ended up at level two when they got to the customer. Could we make sure that we've got them at least a level three or four? That tells you exactly what to do versus what normally happens in most greenhouses today is, oh, those stupid growers, they're not keeping them wet enough. They need to make them wetter. So they tell the shipping people, the shipping people tell the growers and that it's got to be wetter, wetter, wetter. So then what's the next phone call from the customer? The plants came in soaking <laughs> wet. They're too wet. So you don't have action, you just have reaction, which is not very productive. So the, um, you know, to answer your question of, you know, is there a qualitative? Yes, the qualitative is very easy to train. It's about a half hour um, presentation of 15 minutes going through a PowerPoint, uh, um, about a 10 slide PowerPoint presentation and a 15 minute um, project where you work together to make the levels one through five. And at that point, they should understand there are five levels and that they can do it with adding water to soil. The qualitative is a little bit more, um, a little more intensive in that you actually have to go and then weigh pots and then you could still have the five levels, but now you assign a weight value to those of a certain number of grams. So that's the quantitative part of this moisture management. Okay, and you mentioned that there is a PowerPoint available. I will put a link to that in the show notes um, for anybody listening who wants to go through that with their team. Um, have you seen any sort of examples of how this is put into action at the greenhouse you've visited, you know, in terms of maybe a visual or, uh, you know, cues to help the, the, the folks, um, I guess, primarily the, the folks in the greenhouse watering um, hit these specific uh, qualitative or quantitative levels? Well, yes, in the grow in the greenhouse, what we'll do um, is actually um, we'll have the growers um, graph what the target weight was when they dry when they watered. So they basically said, okay, I allowed, you know, in this entire block, whether it's a bench or it's a whole greenhouse that they're going to water, on average, they weighed about five plants, and they said, on average, the plants weighed 1,200 grams. So they go and they mark on the graph that they watered these at 1,200 grams. And then they go out and they water the, the, 
water the plants per the growers um, recommendation. So the grower said you need to water these up to 1800 grams. So the waterer goes out and waters them and then he weighs five plants and sees, okay, what did I weigh, what did I water them up to? So then they go and they mark on the graph that they watered it up to 1700 grams, which they said was good enough. And the, by graphing this of what the, what they, how dry they got and how wet they got, four, five, seven days later, when the grower comes by and sees that the crop is not performing like they should, you know, it's getting too tall, it's not, the roots aren't developing, there's something that's not right, they can look at the graph and they can see, huh, they didn't follow the instructions. And so now you've created a teachable moment where you can teach the waterer, okay, you really should have done this and you should have you should have dried them down more or you should have not let them get so dry. You should only let them get to, you know, 1,500 grams, not 1,000 grams. That was way too dry. Um, you should have only watered them to 1,900 grams instead of 2,200 grams. That was way too wet. So you can basically now create a teachable moment where they can actually see what they did five to seven days ago that will allow them to actually change their behavior going forward because now they can see what they did that caused this response. And that's really how we create survivors in this industry, teaching them how to be successful so that they can succeed. So you're actually picking up pots or trays and putting them on a scale and recording the those weights. How, I guess, how realistic how realistic is that? How often do you see that being done? Does it need to be done more? Um, I've been in a lot of greenhouses. I've seen it here and there, but you've been in a lot more. So what's what's sort of the the, the gut check or the reality level of, of that happening in production? Well, the, the gut check is, is that for new learners, they have to have a tool to learn. It's kind of like when you are in first grade and you're learning to read or in kindergarten when you're learning your alphabet. Repetition is critical to success. So for new learners, they have to do that so that they can learn. Now, once they're starting to be experienced, you can actually, growers will get to a point where they can pretty much pick up a pod and they can estimate the, the weight within 100 grams without any problem. They can pick it up and say, huh, this one's probably, um, you know, this one's probably about 1,500 grams or, uh, well, let's see, this one's probably, you know, this morning, I probably have lost 100 grams since this morning. Eventually, they can learn. that. That's experience. That's the survivor grower that is able to actually estimate that. And really good grower, you know, you don't even have to be an exceptional grower, but just a, an attentive grower will be able to do that. But what it also does is it allows the manager to actually come in and instruct the, the waterers to what needs to be done. So are they doing it um, on a regular basis? And as new learners, they are doing it because that's the job. The job is to dry the plants out to the correct amount, add the water to the correct amount, and that's the job. Focus on the job. The scales are not expensive. The scales are 20, you know, you can go on the internet, you can get scales from these kitchen scales from 15 to 15 to $20 because it's a disposable, um, you, but you got to have them. And they're just using them. They're small so that they can carry them around easily. And they're weighing throughout the operation just to create that consistency. You know, if, and it's very important early in the crop to get them off and running well. Once the crop is established, you've got roots to the bottom, it's really not as big a deal um, because then you're going to most likely water it up to a solid four, maybe even a five to give a, because um, you've got roots at the bottom, you can put water all the way to the bottom without any problem um, so that they can water, so that they don't dry out more often than every 24 hours or 48 hours because you want them to last at least 48 hours from an operational standpoint. So, you know, as the crop gets older, you can, um, allow it to you know, get away from doing it. But it's that early establishment where we create all of our problems and all of our inconsistencies that we then spend the rest of our crop time fixing 
problems. So the goal is not to fix problems, it's to make sure there are no problems from the very beginning. So that that's, and looking at the watering and making sure that you are um, <clears throat> applying the water to the right dry point and wet point will basically allow you to get work through um, incorrect watering decisions that have plagued most growers in the past. Okay, no, that 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 makes a lot of sense, and um, maybe I'll I'll just have to keep closer watch when I'm in a greenhouse because maybe they are uh, just carrying the the scale around with them, or maybe um, you know the folks that that listen to this podcast will. Uh, go on Amazon, grab some uh, inexpensive scales and go out and start working with some of their younger growers to uh, achieve this kind of consistency that will, you know, at the end of the day, um, reduce reduce your losses in the greenhouse and, and, and drive up your profitability. Right. So that, that sort of wraps up the first part of our water management topic here, the language of watering with tons of fantastic information um, it really is such a critical topic like like you've uh, mentioned any number of times so what what have we missed what else do you want to add before uh, before we call it a day well one of the things is is that um, the eye of the owner has to be in the greenhouse making sure that watering is being done correctly every day the eye, and who's the owner? The owner may be a financial owner, may be a process owner, but someone has to be out there asking the people, looking at the charts. The reason why we chart the wet-dry cycles, are they taking it to the dry point and up to the wet point? You know, your wet target, are you hitting your targets? Is because if someone's not looking, the waterers, the guy that's out there with the hose that's killing more plants than anybody else in the operation, drifts away. And it just starts watering whatever, whenever, and creates lack of uniformity and consistency. So it's really important that someone has to be accountable for growers hitting the numbers, making sure that they're doing the job every single day and finding the people who aren't doing the job and moving them somewhere else so that they stop killing plants, retraining them if necessary. So making sure that you've got an eye of the grower out there making sure that someone owns this process and watering is done correctly because it'll simplify so many other things that they're chasing around trying to fix because they didn't pay attention to what was being done with the watering process. And it's probably something that needs to be revisited, you know, at least a few times uh, throughout the year, the, this, the five levels um, oh, yes. of, of water. At the beginning of the season you take everybody back through the training even though that they've been they've been through the training 20 times you can never not learn something new that's the that's that's the culture you want in your organization there's always something new we can have from someone else and if you have someone who's been through it 20 times make them do the training there's nothing that will increase the learning faster than having to teach that's true. Trained by the survivors is probably a good way to do it, too. Exactly. exactly. So last but not least, I'm, I will post um, a water management guide and the five levels spelled out and shown visually um, in the show notes. But how can STEM listeners get in touch with you if they have additional questions or specific, you know, I guess, needs related to water management in their operation? I know you're I know you're busy, but I also know you're you're available and always happy to talk to growers. Well, my, my challenge is, is that as a traveler um, that travels around the world is a lot of time I'm awake when you're sleeping and you're sleeping when I'm awake. So um, the best way to try to get hold of me is through email, um, and that's wheely, W-H-E-A-L-Y, at ballhort.com. Um, and then I will, of course, get back to you as soon as I can um, find a time that I can um, connect with you. Um, and if you don't hear from me in uh, two, three days, by all means, send the email again to remind me. I probably have missed it because it's rolled down the email list and because of time differences. But I do um, get back to everybody eventually. Um, I try to keep everyone um, responding within a couple days. So by all means, you should expect to hear from me within um, two days um, based on the time zones. Awesome. And I will put a link to your uh, email address in the show notes, as well as a link to uh, ballseed.com, where we do have a lot of the uh, technical 
resources and even, you know, up to the minute uh, technical updates from uh, Dr. Healy and his team. Um, and I will definitely put that put that link in the show notes. And uh, as a reminder, this is the first part in a two part uh, discussion of water management. Um, uh, we will be back with part two, where we're going to dig a little bit deeper into watering, discussing the wet and dry targets that Will alluded to a little bit, and uh, plant demand and controlling specific climates. So thank you so much, Will, and um, I expect that uh, we will cover other topics uh, besides watering in future uh, episodes of STEM, but definitely want to remind the listeners to uh, to keep your eye open for part two of this podcast, um, because I, I definitely think there's a lot more great information to share. But thank you so much for uh, for all of your time and for all of your knowledge. And uh, we will be back uh, with Dr. Healy again in, a, in, a, in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to STEM. Insider tips for Greenhouse Pros. And special thanks for helping us surpass 5,000 downloads in November of 2018. I'm Bill Calkins. You can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com. Or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ballseed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, many of which are offered by Dr. Will Healy, and more. And check out the show notes for links to even more content related to this episode, including a presentation you can use to train your team on the levels of watering. Let's end this episode with a water quote from one of my favorite comedians, Mitch Hedberg. My fake plants died because I did not pretend to water them.